Welcome to the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo Radio. We're having a fun start here. If you want to join us uh, live on YouTube radio, go to Tom Douglas and Co. and backslash uh, Hot Stove Society radio show, I believe is how you get there. Something like that. Uh, we have uh, Amy Richardson sitting in today, a former producer of ours, who's sitting in for Pamela, who uh, is just on a plane as we speak. She left at 7 this morning. Uh, on her way to go cook her mother and her mother's friends at their Aww. nursing home a birthday lunch. So sweet. I just don't know how she gets the Jello to set up that fast. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they have. They have a Jello salad as like their big thing. So really, yeah. So we're gonna miss her today. Uh, Chef Annie and Chef Bridget uh, are gonna team up and try and take us on today. So maybe we should do seven or eight questions a piece, just two on two. Okay. Terry and I will take them on. <laughs> okay. And happily kick their patooties. Easy now. Oh, yeah? You oh, don't yeah. like to trash talk beforehand? I, I, I know you do, but uh, it never brings good things, apparently. We always really? lose when that happens. Okay. Uh, I'm just back from France. My name is Tom Douglas, chef owner of several joints here in Seattle. And uh, we are at the Hotel Andre, a beautiful Hotel Andre at 4th and Virginia in downtown Seattle, right above Lola Restaurant across the street from the Dahlia Bakery. That's right. I'm Thierry Rochero, the chef in a hat, and uh, happy to be here every Friday. Yeah. Big show, big show. Big show today. I'm going to do a little report from France. Uh, I'm going to do it in two segments, one focusing on our Parisian six days and the other focusing on our Provençal six days. Nice. I like how you use those French words correctly. Yeah, well, see, that's... Parisien, that's, Provençal, music to my ears. still sounds a little different when he does it, doesn't it? Yeah. He's, he's created the best fake French accent I've ever heard. Alors, uh, uh, peak of the season in farmer's market. Yellow summer squash. Now, this is a season I could do without. As opposed to green summer squash? Yeah. Well, Pamela, she loves that yellow summer squash. My wife does, too, and she grows it. I always find a way to put it in the very back of the vegetable drawer and forget about it. Flavor boost with garlic paste and roast garlic. Have you ever used those little... Um, Flavor or kind of garlic or ginger cubes that you can get in the, they come frozen. You put them no. in the freezer and you just pop out one when you need it. No, I usually always have ginger in my fridge. Yeah, me too. Guess who's going to be here today? It's been a long time since he's been on the show. Victor Hazan, the husband of Marcella Hazan, who wrote uh, the classic Italian cookbook, the two of them, and then right. she combined the two, and this is called the Essentials of classic Italian cooking. It's the 30th anniversary edition. And Victor is going to be here in studio. It's shocking to me. Well, last time we saw, he was here like yeah. five years ago. And he was, uh, he was already here. I mean, he was already looking a little bit old. I'm very... That's not very kind. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying... I'm glad that, to see you have a mean bone uh, in your wait, body. Everyone always says second. I'm the mean one, but I wasn't mean, look I, at you. Let me finish wait my phrase. Wait until Victor comes and I tell him what let you said. Let me finish my phrase. Savory pancakes. All the enticing possibilities here. This is an accident uh, I'm doing a class on 923, and it must not be selling very well because we're pushing it today on the show. <laughs> yep. Let's sell some tickets. <laughs> sell this some is the class. Come see me. It's savory pancakes. Savory pancakes. That sounds delicious. It is going to be delicious. I'm going to have some surprises there, too. So I'm just saying, if you look online under the hot stove and you read about the class description, just add two more. Because Annie's got some favorites that she wants to put into the mix. Chef Annie. Just saying. Uh, And lastly, of course, we're going to play Rub With Love Trivia. And it's you and me against the two hot stove chefs over there. 
Annie Elmore and Bridget Charters. And um, Chef, I feel like we're going to kick some booty today. Yeah, we will. You think so? Yeah. I feel like we are going to come out on top. If anything, I'll just sit on them. Okay, Chef, what is your taste of the week? Taste of the week. I went to see uh, Alice and Peter um, at their uh, farm in Darrington. They used to be a supplier every year uh, for many years uh, of vegetables and uh, eggs and stuff like that, at, uh, at both at Lule and Luke and Rovers. And um, went to see them. And Peter, who Peter is Malaysian and um, Alice is Chinese, and um, they made us a wonderful lunch of unan pork and um, black cod schwann. And uh, don't ever call me a spice weenie ever again because I have actually graduated to baby on fire and nobody's moving out of the house. So I ate so much pepper. There's an that idiom day. there, I'm sure, but I just missed it. Today, I was on fire at <laughs> one time. I was like burning and I wasn't moving. I was like, ah, I can't take this. Yeah. My lips, my tongue, numb. Hmm. By the pepper and by the chili that were in the, the black cod that he made, it was super delicious. It was um, um, soy sauce, a little bit of water, uh, a little wine. I mean, not water, wine. And then um, put the cod in there. Put the cod in there with it had chili, pe- very hot chili pepper, mm-hmm. and lots of Szechuan pepper, corn, and he cooked the whole thing together like very slowly like this. So the cod was like melting down, but the the pepper are part of the sauce. So then you reduce it down a little bit. Uh-huh. Put that all over the Woo! fish. Oh, Woo! boy. Was that warm? Whew. Yeah. That was hot. And the people get confused because Szechuan peppercorn, it gives you a little buzz, but it doesn't give you the heat. No, but the, the hot numbs. chilies are what? Yeah, the chili, yeah. the chili gives you the heat, and the pepper gives you the numbness. The numbness on your lips. So it was yeah. like, it was, it was an interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, last time I had this was at Lionhead mm-hmm. when I had yeah. the, uh, the Szechuan dish over there was the same kind of impression but and so, then the pork the pork was really nice because he made the roll he, he basically steamed the pork uh the roast uh, um not a roast it's a steam uh pork and then sliced and then put all the he take he takes some baby egg plant and he, he, t- he took the baby egg plant with the skin on in a pan covered and just cooked them on the stove like that and they were delicious okay do i get to go now you get to go, yeah. Oh, okay, well, good. Or maybe we wait for the next segment. Uh, my taste of the week uh, was with you last night. Uh-huh. We were at uh, Jack's restaurant uh, after an event for the Puget Sound. Jack's Grill. Jack's Grill uh, over on in Laurelhurst after yeah. the Puget Sound, our Puget Sound Farmland Trust event at the Horticulture Center. And uh, it brought tears to my eyes. The food was fine, and I'm not, uh, I'm not at all dissing them or anything, but... I ran into two former employees there, and, and they were every charming. time this has been happening since COVID, when everyone got dispersed with COVID, when I run into these people, it just brings tears to my eyes, and uh, I got to have big hugs, and you know, there's no time to really relive anything, but God, yeah, Sim- Simone and Halo sweet. were there, and it was just like unbelievable to see people after two and a half years when you had such a traumatic goodbye. And they had nothing but grand thing to say about you. Well, that's not the point. The point is, it's just like, it just makes me melt when I, when yeah, I no, run into of course, folks. Of course. And you run into them all over the city, mm-hmm. in different restaurants, and different professions now, gardening. Yeah, when you disperse 800 people, you're going to find oh, them somewhere. It's just, <laughs> oh, it's hard for me to take. Yep. 
Okay, up next, uh, the farmer's markets are full of the pale-skinned, sunshine-yellow summer squash. What the heck do you do with it all? On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. When you're going to the farmer's markets these days, you're going to be inundated not only with zucchini, but with the bright yellow summer squash that uh, some we used to call crookneck squash because right. they were they used to have a crookneck. Now they've straightened them out a little bit. <laughs> it's funny. Now they look more like zucchinis than anything. Well, they, there is different kind, but you still find a crookneck in the market. Yeah, mine. Like, ugh, what do I do with those things? So... Uh, uh, I'm Tom. This is the chef in the chapeau, Chef Terry. Terry, I'm going to leave, let you lead this down a, a rainbow path because um, you love these things. Cord- well, there, I, I think I think you can't poop with them. This is what we have growing. I'm not trying to poop with them. I'm just saying right when you have a right choice. Now. Yeah, when you have a choice. Yeah, I mean, we saying. do have a choice. You can okay. eat uh, fried chicken or Courgette? you can go and have some yellow crookneck when yeah. they're in season. You have to eat what's in season. I, I get it. I, I do. Work a little bit. So what's your favorite way to have them? Uh, many ways. Uh, number one, I would do a raw salad of crookneck. And that is if you have young, tender crookneck, you can slice them in half and then slice them again very thin and then let them marinate in a little bit of uh, vinegar, salt, olive oil, and marinate those zucchini, those, those squash for maybe 20 minutes on the counter. Then you add everything else you want to add to that salad. So you could add, right now in, in, um, in the garden, I have a few radishes that have popped up again. So I would definitely do radishes because I would bring a little bite to the, to the squash. It would give you some personality. And there's a lot of herbs to use right now. This is the time of the year where you start using all your herbs that are going to die in a month from now too. So, you know, the, the tarragon, the basil, the fennel. Oh, your fine herbs. Yeah, yeah, fine herbs. Yeah, and then you mix that with... Uh, the bite and the soft, because the squash doesn't have much flavor in terms of personality into the into the salad. But if you have a bunch of it, mix it with radishes. Mix it. You could also do potato and squash salad. So you have small small potato that have been boiled, cold, cut them in small pieces, marinate the whole thing together with the squash, and then you have a wonderful little salad on your hand with fresh herbs. Serve that for lunch. Uh-huh. You know, as I've uh, you know, I used to kind of poo-poo these things that are a little bit flavorless to me, like zucchini and squash. And as I've got, gotten more mature... Uh, we'll discuss that later. I start to think about them like tofu, right? Yeah. Where they are just vehicles for the other flavors, right. and, and they're really more about their texture. Correct. Uh, and they add a little crunch, or they add a little softness in a tian, yeah. or, uh, but they really are just vehicles. Exactly. They're just... I mean, it's not any different than rice, than pasta, everything, many things that we have in our diet is a vessel, which is also why you keep the meal balance. Because if you only eat one of that item, if you only eat a big giant bowl of rice, which is delicious, no problem, but it's not very balanced of a diet. And so not very flavorful use. as a... Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's boring also to eat the same thing, you know, the whole meal, the whole thing. So you, that's why you diversify with that. Squash, the other thing you can do is grill them. I mean... This is the end. Of, it's going to be the end of the barbecue season in about a month. Again, same time of the year. Take those, squa- those squash, cut them in half, put a little bit of olive oil, salt and pepper, and put them off the flame on a hot grill 
So you can give them a nice char, and then you can use them as a side garnish to any grilled vish, um, meat or fish or whatever. But you can also cool them down, slice them, and then put them in a salad. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, tomato... That would be, if you're going to give me a, an opportunity to use those, that's what I would do, so on yeah, the charcoal grill. I mean, right now, tomatoes are blooming everywhere. So you do a tomato salad with uh, grilled squashes. It's really delicious. You know, fresh herbs, again, fresh herbs that are in your, in your garden or on the farmer's market. You mix the whole thing together, and you have this wonderful fall salad. Now, unlike the... Uh, zucchini that you can get now, green or yellow. The crookneck, I find the seeds a little tougher. They're a little bit chewier right. than, say, a zucchini seed. And I like to, when I've made them in the past uh, out of the farm, I have spooned out the seeds and yeah. then filled them with a force meat of some sure. sort, whether that's a little lamb sausage or lamb and apricot sausage, and put it in and just roast them in a hot, hot oven. Absolutely. Uh, and they do. They have the great fat just infuses into the squash itself from the sausage. And it's a, it is a good way to, again, it's more, to me, it's more about the sausage than it is about the squash. But it's a good vehicle. And if you want to keep it um, vegetarian, you can do like a rice and tomato kind of stew, then you put into that zucchini and bake it like this with a little cheese on top. Mm -hmm. Delicious little appetizer for lunch. Or it could be your whole lunch if you do enough of them. Have you ever used them um, in a soup or anything like that? Because... They, yeah, they're not. They break down in a funny way. Yeah and, yeah, and they're also not that great. I mean, I think when I think soup of a squash, I'm going to definitely go pumpkin. I'm going to go butternut squash. I'm going to go, obviously, to the more flavorful, sweet, delicious flavor. But, but what about more like a minestrone where you're having a mix of vegetables? Uh, to fall. me, you still have to seed them and then use the body itself. They're going to definitely, you have to be ready for seed them, number one, but also... Put them at the last minute. Right. Because they're going to fall apart. 30 seconds. Yeah. Because they're continuing <coughs> to cook in that hot broth. Right. It's right. just, I mean, zucchinis are water. You know, it's just like most of the, uh, those vegetables that grow really fast. It's a lot of water. So they fall apart really quickly. So in a broth, they definitely need to be put at the last minute. Mm-hmm. But they're delicious. I mean, you also, <clears throat> you can slice your, you know, once you've grilled them, it makes a great... Um, once they're grilled all the way on both sides and soft enough. And hard. A hard char a hot is char, what we're yeah. talking, right? You can put they do those. have natural sugars. It will caramelize. Right. You can put that on a nice bakery, um, um, Dahlia Bakery bowl. Then you have, make that, grill that on the barbecue as well. Mm-hmm. And goat cheese and put those, zook, those squash right on top of that. It makes a beautiful tartine, open face tartine. Mm-hmm. Easy to make and doesn't take very long. Right. And you can have, and when you grill, grill the whole bunch of zucchini or squash that you bought, keep them in the fridge. All you have to do is flash it in the oven, in your oven for about two minutes, and then they're going to be room temp again. Then you put those on your sandwich. Cold, not so hot on that. Cold and cooked, no. But warm them up a little bit, you know, so you have them in the fridge so you can use them over the next days during dinner or lunch as a garnish or first thing i think about when you said that on the bull is to drape a little locks you know a little mm. lightly smoked salmon or grav locks over top those bulls are murder to me because i keep all, i keep going there and buying two every friday mm-hmm. and it lasts me until wednesday man thursday is a rough day at my house <laughs> i got no bread that's a rough day that's a lot of bread chef i thought you were off the bread what's going on um, yeah but that bread it's just a hook. Yeah. It's just too good to be true. That bull is delicious. Oof. When you're making uh, minestrone and you have bread like that, 
if by chance you do have your charcoal grill going, put some olive oil on there and char the bread on the grill until it has very dark edges. Mm -hmm. And dipping that in your minestrone Mm. with lots of olive oil, a little parm, whatever. What a delicious lunch that is in the summertime. So. I mean, I mean, I would hate to start a grill just for the bread. Croutons. God, it's so oh, good. Oh, not me. <laughs> I have no problem with that. It's a great base. You know, talking about a base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the zucchini, I mean, the squash and the zucchini that are in the, in, the, uh, in the garden right now, definitely time to use them. And you can pickle them whole. That's, I've done that a couple of times. does not come out as good as you want it to be because the inside is really mushy. Uh, mushy yeah, because the seeds, so when... You know, when you take them out of the jar after they've been pickled, you just cut them in half and seed what's inside, and you ha- still have the outside. But not my favorite vegetable to pickle. All right. We've got much more to talk about today, including uh, a couple of segments on France, which, uh, oddly enough, I will lead this time. Bonjour, Monsieur Bonjour. Tom. Yes, indeed. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. And we're back. Parlez-vous français, chef? Oh oui, je parle français. Yeah. Quoi? Uh, moi. Uh, say, si, oui. oui. <laughs> All right, you're going back for five more weeks. <laughs> uh, just back from a trip to... Uh, Uh, France, uh, uh-huh. uh, almost a week in Paris, almost a week in Provence. Took uh, Hercules with us. Uh, running around France with uh, 18-month-old is quite a journey. You forgot. I you sort get, of forgot. I mean, well, we lived with him for six months from six to a year, so I didn't forget. Uh, I just It just changes your trip, right? You have to plan naps. You have to do everything is around the baby's schedule. And so, uh, as it should be, that's yeah. what happens yeah, when they're no, that of course. age. It, it, that doesn't last forever. No. He, he it goes have, actually really quick. Yeah. Uh, in terms of time, but yeah. uh, when you're there, it's definitely different. Super fun to walk the streets of Paris with them. Everybody loves to stop and talk to the baby. That I felt very popular um, because he and I would go out on strollabouts uh, down to the park or, or this, uh, to the shop or go have espresso or, or go to a wine bar. He was quite the terror in the wine bar. Um, Knocked over a stool, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. But, How old you is know, he now? when you're 18 months old, you can get away with murder. Months, yeah. yeah. You can get away with anything. This is a great thing to say in America. I took my 18 months old to a bar. You go everywhere. I mean, it's, it's, it's part of the reasons, in my opinion, that we have such struggles uh, in this country. We eliminate so much of life. Correct. Because it's not appropriate for this age or not appropriate. If, you just, if it's just normal, it it's normal. It has never happened in anybody's history than an 18 months old walked up to a bar and said, I'd like to have a whiskey. Mm-hmm. That has never happened. Mm-hmm. Put that in context. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, it was fun to be out and about with them. The brasseries, everyone takes a turn to, uh, to um, you know, take him for a stroll because he can't sit there for that long and try not it to drink changes. too much rosé and all, all that sort of thing. So super fun. Uh, my favorite restaurant in Paris we did all kind of old-fashioned stuff. We uh-huh. didn't do anything like stars or anything like that. But poulet au pot. Did poulet you ever go? Poulet au pot. Yeah. Uh, 
classic old Parisian yeah. restaurant. I guess it's now being attended to by a Provencal chef. Uh, I don't remember his name, but he's uh, he's got his brand there. And it was, my, I think, probably our best meal. We had classic between two classic restaurants, Cru Bourgogne oh, yeah. uh, and Poulet au Pot. Uh, was um, it was good as that chicken pot au feu was their main dish, right? Yeah. So, uh, and then uh, of course we had to have a little foie pate and good baguette, and you know it was just it was good fun. I think it's poulet pot, not poulet. Poulet pot. No? Poulet, yeah, whatever you say, chef. Poulet pot. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, those were two of the better meals that we had. I love Epinard in Paris or in oh, France because yeah. you can just get a big pile of spinach. Which is something that uh, I I do I adore. So uh, it's kind of hard to find vegetables sometimes. No cream. No, no cream. No, no, no. no. Okay, good. I don't do the cream spinach thing. I do the just simple sauté. Yeah. Yeah. Or steamed and sautéed. I think you see that quite a bit, where the epinard is kind of like steamed as a prep item and then kind of sautéed the last minute. Exactly. Round butter. Yeah. So so delicious. Strolling about the streets of Paris, uh, crepes, oh, lot, yeah. a lot of everywhere. crepes everywhere. Falafel. Falafel. Uh, we went to um, the, the fancy, not the fancy falafel, but the busy falafel place here in the first, in the Marais. Um, Marais. No, I, I could tell you the name, but I don't remember. But the no, first... The area is called the Marais. Marais, sorry. Yeah, it's yeah. okay. I didn't know I was getting a French lesson today. I thought I already had Well, that if you're going to be talking there. about French, I'm going to try to give you the right name know, so exactly. people know where you are. <laughs> um, so lots of crepes. Um, I found it astonishing. And Victor Hazan just walked in. He'll get a kick out of this, I think. But every menu of every restaurant, whether I was in Paris or in Provence, is burrata with tomatoes. I say, am I in Italy or am I in France here? What's going on? Well, the borders have been broken a while back, yeah. in case you were not aware. And, yeah. you know, globalization and, and, you know, travel is not the same as it used to be. When I was a child, I, left, I lived, I'm from the west side of France, small town. We had never heard of balsamic vinegar. I lived in a small town village. We didn't know about balsamic vinegar. We didn't know about most of the things Italian because... Because they didn't come all the way to my hometown, and no, we didn't go there. We local. It would take three weeks to get to Italy by horse. Um, anyway, so we didn't know. So, you know, and when I started traveling through France as a young age, when I started working in different parts of France, that's when I discovered there was balsamic vinegar. And the first time I had balsamic vinegar was actually um, when I came here to the state in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy, this is delicious stuff. What is this? Well, I just thought it was uh, a bit odd to have it so prevalent in, and and it's obviously prevalent here in the states. That's what we do. We rip off every other cuisine in the world, right? Uh, but I just hadn't noticed it in France as much. <laughs> well, so. I think I think it's called a trend. Yeah, uh, you know, something gets hot on the market, and everybody jumps on the bandwagon. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, there's not really anything wrong with burrata and tomato <laughs> exactly. when the tomatoes are delicious in season and. Okay, you know. so, so then we moved down to Provence for six days. We had a house in Saint-Rémy-de-Provence, uh-huh. and uh, it was lovely, beautiful, hot, stormy. We had some great thunderstorms. Uh, it was, but the food was fine. It was not that impressive. Well, like I said, we, we, were, we had a baby with us, so there's no star restaurants. There's right, no right, sitting right, down right. for three-hour lunches. Uh, well, we went need- to Bow uh, to look at that old town on, up in the, st- the hills of Bow, 
being oh, yeah, yeah. Provence. Mm-hmm. I was just there a few months ago. Yeah. Did you go to Hotel? De, I mean, if you go to Les Beaux de Provence. It's a little late. Don't tell me what I missed. Too bad. Okay. Should have asked me. Okay. I did ask you, Chef. I didn't if you know remember. you were going to yeah. Les Beaux. I mean, it is. Uh, anyway, so we went down there. Uh, it was, but the food was just a little bit lackluster. It made me uh, dream of Italy. Right. Uh, just the simplicity of Tuscany. and. Well, there are a few places that I would say are definitely geared towards American tourism and a uh, few cities to name, Aix, Avignon, uh, you know, Saint-Rémy-de-Provence, Nice. There are definitely some places where Saint-Tropez, you know, they, those places are very much ready for international tourism. Right. So it takes a little bit away from, you have to get out of that. So where do you go then? You're in Provence. Everyone wants to go to Provence. When you say, I went to Provence, to people, they, they literally swoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where are you going to send them? Well, smaller towns. Don't. I went to, St. Remy's not like a no, metropolis. No, no, it's not a big town, but it's no. very <clears throat> touristy. Very touristy, yeah. So you got to get out of that tourist town mm-hmm. to go into a smaller town where people will live normal life mm-hmm. and they are not And what affected. food would I look for then? Because... What we found, I mean, we were near the water there, fairly close to the water. Uh, of course, you're, in France, you're often close to the water. Right. Uh, but um, what would I look for from a classic Provençal meal? Well, in, in Provence, you're going to, I mean, it's going to be similar to Italy in this time of year. You're going to have tomatoes. You're going to have, I mean, it's summertime when you mm-hmm. were, mm-hmm. it's summertime. You're going to have the same ingredients all along the Mediterranean, pretty much, between the, the anchovies, the olives, the, mm. you know, the tomatoes, all those different kinds of ingredients and olive oil everywhere. Great uh, olive oil. Very inexpensive, very um, delicious olive yeah. oil. Uh, good breads, you know, good stuff like that. So it's a, very, it's a much, much lighter diet in the south of France, mm-hmm. you know, in general. So it's not like you're not going to get, you don't go get a cassoulet in Provence. No. You don't no. go get a... Especially above, in the summertime. <laughs> yeah, and above Bourguignon, you know. Those classics are for more inland and more in richer areas. Lots of seafood stews. Lots of seafood stew, like bouillabaisse and stuff, and mm-hmm. fish soup, mm-hmm. and uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, you, you'll see a lot of that. Now, the talent is obviously the same as everywhere else. It's moving a little bit. You know, it's a, and you don't have to go to a star restaurant to eat good food. You just have to converse with a local to be able to know where to go for a good dinner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a problem when you go for only eight days in Provence. You don't really have time to you know, to make too many friends in Provence. But I would recommend doing a little homework beforehand, trying to get some head start. That takes the fun out of it. We like that. We like that last minute stuff. All right, when we come back, let's talk garlic and garlic paste and roasted garlic and all the good things that you can do with that delicious ingredient. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Garlic's healthy and nutritious and it tastes so fine. 
Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show. Tom Douglas here. Terry Rocher, the chef in the hat. We have a very lively audience, although they're stuffing their face right now with fresh nectarines picked from our farm in Prosser, Washington. Thanks to my wife, Jackie, for sending those over. Uh, garlic. Let's talk garlic for a couple of minutes and uh, how you like to use it and what's your favorite way. And to me, there's some cheats on garlic that I think are reasonable in the marketplace. One is when I'm having a big dinner like Thanksgiving where I've got garlic in a lot of different areas, I'm buying the bag of peeled garlic. Right. Not the jar of canned garlic that's chopped, but in the grocery stores now, the the fancy ones in the produce department, they tend to have a bag uh, like we buy for the restaurants that's pre-peeled and ready to go. And I love that convenience. That's a very good convenience. (laughs) The good thing about Thanksgiving is you get enough buddies around to have someone else peel the garlic. Yeah, that's the other good part. That's that's true. But usually I start cooking way before they get there, so Mm -hmm. you're right. You do need some garlic. So there's um, there's that way to buy it, and then the other one I mentioned to you, and I think in the break was they have this new company that's got different kinds of herbs and spices and things like that that are frozen, fresh frozen in cubes. Right. For your freezer. And so if you want to go in and pull out, it's I think one cube is equal to about one clove of garlic. If you want to chop, it's all minced and ready to go. Oh, wow. And so let's say you're making a pot of soup and you're just want you taste it and it just doesn't have enough oomph. You just if you don't have garlic fresh in front of you, you just go to the freezer and you plop out a cube of That's this. A good one. This garlic or ginger or I think they have. Um, so I think there's some herbs, pesto or something like that. They also have, but anyway, a convenient little way That's very good to buy your garlic these days. And there's a toma- there is the uh, garlic paste in tube. I just like the, I love the convenience uh, or the idea of the tube. I think it's mm-hmm. a very good way to keep things safe and fresh in your refrigerator for a very long time, which garlic paste is not something you use every day, just like anchovy paste, uh, just like, you know, certain things. And in tube, it keeps really well, but you're right. It's a, it's a bit of a fight to find something that actually really tastes delicious. The tube that I have in my refrigerator, unfortunately, I don't remember the name of it, but uh, it's a paste that I've used when I made tomato stew or tomato concasse, you know, one of those two, and which is basically tomato stew. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, put a little bit at the end, even though I already put some fresh garlic in there, put a little bit at the end when I'm blending the whole thing to make a soup. And that gives it that last of the, you know, you get a little hump of uh, right. of garlic added to that, but um, as it's as it's meant to be, which I think originally that paste is meant to put on toast and things like this, not quite. I rather roast my own garlic and because um, you get a diff- for some reason my fr- my roasted garlic doesn't taste like anything like what's in that tube. So, so for the home cook. <laughs> Yeah. They're probably going to be using the tube, like myself. Do you use garlic in the tube? I do. I've never even seen it. i got to tell you. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. So what would you recommend? To take the time to roast garlic? Well, uh, yeah, I would recommend. Okay, so don't make it sound like it's a big deal, because roasting garlic <laughs> is a pretty simple thing. Garlic cloves, you buy, you buy four of them, put them in your little toaster oven if you have one, or, or in your oven. Um, you know, you toss them, uh, you put them on, on foil, whatever, because it's going to drip. Just put that in the oven, 350 degrees, put the timer on 45 minutes and come back and see what happened later. And go watch your movie and, and you know. And, I mean, it's like, it doesn't take anything to roast garlic no. in the shell. 
You know, when you do it like this, all you have to do is get rid of the loose leaves around, yeah. put that in the oven, and you'll have rose garlic and clove in the skin. And keep all you it have in to your do, refrigerator. Yeah, and then well, before you do that, no, you can't even do better than that. You take it out of the oven, let it cool down a little bit, and then squeeze the charming out of the garlic clove. Mm-hmm. The puree comes out. You have the same thing you have in your tube, except it's raw gar- it's, it's fresh garlic that you just roasted, and it doesn't take much to do it. Just put that in the cup. Put a little bit of olive oil on top so there is no air contact to the garlic puree, and you can save that for weeks in your refrigerator. All right. I'm sold. It is not one of my favorite flavors, roasted garlic. Well, it's I find it a little a kind of annoyingly pungent. Uh, well, you know I, what I like these days is toasted garlic. Yeah. So I take garlic and I, I, I will chop it, give it a quick blanch, just a minute, take some of that prickly kind of acid right. off of it, and then I slow toast it in olive oil. Sure. And until it gets golden brown, and then I strain it and drain it. Right. And you can use it as a sprinkle on just about it's, anything. It's a different way to do it, yes, and it's different flavor. It, it comes out differently in flavor for sure. But rose garlic is good. I disagree with Tom on that. I think rose garlic has a place somewhere. But like if you do, for example, a roast pork, and at the end you deglaze your onion that have underneath, you know, you take a little bit of white wine, deglaze that whole pan, let it, you know, come to a boil, add some fresh herb. And then put a little bit of that garlic paste in there, or the garlic puree that you have, and then finish with a nice nugget of butter or some olive oil if you don't want to do butter. And you'll have a wonderful little sauce on your hand to just drizzle over your pork. Mm-hmm. What have you done with black garlic these days? So I black some- garlic is like roasted garlic. It's just over a much longer time at a lower temperature. Well, black, wait, black garlic depends. It's not, I mean, you can just ferment Black That's garlic. what I'm saying. So what have you done with that? Um, I usually put it into, again, soups. If you do, like, for example, we're getting into the squash season soup, you know, butternut squash coming up. It's a great item to add at the end of a butternut squash soup. Once it's ready, you put your pepitas on top, your toasted pepitas or something like this. And you, put, you could even put a little goat cheese. I like goat cheese in my butternut squash soup. But take that uh, garlic paste or garlic, black garlic, and then slice it and then Put a whole bunch of it into your soup. Mm-hmm. It's a great addition. Black garlic is very mild. <coughs> it's mild and sweet. Mm-hmm. So it's a very good addition to your soup. Um, sea salt finish right on top. Finishing sea salt, and it's really delicious. I like how it brings color contrast, too. I know that's, that's secondary, but... Right. It, it... But uh, no, it definitely is a beautiful contrast yeah. of color. But mm-hmm. more importantly, it's a nice little contrast of flavor, too. And black garlic, again, is the kind of stuff you put in your refrigerator... Keep it with your vegetables so you can remember every time you take the vegetables and you have this black garlic over here to use. But it lasts for a yeah, very, very long time. I'm seeing it more and more in grocery stores and right. yeah, all yeah, done for lasts. you. Yeah, because it lasts. I mean, and it doesn't change flavor. You know, it's one item that, I mean, I don't know, I haven't tried 10 years, but, you know, it's, I've, had, I've had black garlic in my refrigerator probably some of it all the way up to, you know, eight months no change in flavor because mm-hmm. it's already fermented. It's already at a point, stage of life where I don't think anything ages anymore. So it doesn't change. <coughs> All you have to do is keep it wrapped up. And so uh, would you agree with me as our listeners are thinking about garlic? Almost always, unless you're going to roast it or you know, do, manipulate it in that kind of way, almost always if you're using fresh garlic, I like to use it. Uh, either in layers, so when I'm starting the dish and then when I'm finishing the dish, right. 
but uh, if you're if you're going to just do it one time, it's no longer than three to five minutes to the uh, before you're done cooking. You just right. don't want to. You don't want it, it goes away. Eighty percent of the flavor kind of goes away as it cooks, and so you want if you want fresh, bright garlic, garlic flavor, you have to put it in at the end. You know, and, and oh, even cook it on the side. Cook it gently in olive oil on the side. Add it to your sauce at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Put that on top of your pasta, and you'll have everything fresh and bright. All right, we've got a treat coming your way uh, next. Um, it's the 30th anniversary of Marcella Hazan's uh, Essentials of Classic Italian Cooking, which is kind of like a combo of her first two books. And uh, Victor Hazan, her husband, is here to talk about it. It's a brand-new uh, 30th anniversary edition, so uh, it's something we can go out to the stores and get for holiday season. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. We've got another full hour to come your way. Hopefully you're in your garden or in your kitchen or in your car, all thinking food and what you're going to drink for dinner. I haven't just come back from France. Rosé is on my mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had a lot of rosé over there, especially down in Provence. Yeah. It's just so natural to have a little rosy with your lunch. And, you know, $3 a bottle is a very good price. <laughs> I'm not sure where you were shopping, dude, but it wasn't. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, Food for Thought Tasty Trivia that's going to wrap up this hour. A little, Spend a little time on some uh, savory pancakes. You know, I'm giving away two tickets to my class on the 23rd for uh, savory pancakes here at the hot stove. So if, nice. you, if you tune in, we're gonna, Amy's going to figure out how we're going to give those tickets away. But first, we're going to jump right in. We have a guest of honor here at the hot stove today. Uh, Victor Hazan is here celebrating the 30th anniversary edition of his wife's uh, Essentials of Classic Italian Cooking re-release cookbook. Welcome to our show, sir. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Pleasure to have you. Uh, we also have Eliza from Chef Shop. Uh, what, Hello. Are you... Uh, Taking Victor around town today? I am taking Victor around town today, and he is going to be doing a book signing at Chef Shop on Tuesday. Oh, perfect. So, so if you've never been to Chef Shop, it's the cool yellow building. Does it have a green stripe around it? Yeah. Yeah, yellow building with green stripe right next to the Seattle Fencing Center. And oh. by fencing, I mean sword fighting. And uh, Holy Mountain Brewery there yep. on, on Elliott, right? Yep. Is, is, right next uh, door, yep. Right there. So uh, if, you, if, if you're ever going north and you want to take the right to go up to Magnolia over the bridge or to the cruise ships, you, you're right, right there. You're right there where Chef Shop is. So, Victor, like yes, I said, uh, this is a classic tome. Uh, it, it's, when I was reading about it, uh, I didn't realize, honestly, in my head that uh, the two first books had been put together to make this book. That's correct. Yeah. That is, uh, uh, we have, or Marcella did, she selected from the first two books Mm -hmm. the recipes that she had discovered people were happier cooking or had more to learn from. And so really it's the best of what was the best of that time. The classic Italian cookbook and more classic Italian cooking. And then Marcella added a lot of, a lot of information 
This is really a fundamental introduction and reference mm -hmm. to the methods and values of Italian cooking. You know, I think what, what Marcella has done and what is in uh, this book delivers is to bring the values and the methods of home cooking within the reach of anyone who really wants to cook. It's not about restaurant cooking. It's not about uh, professional cooking. It's about the kind of cooking that has sustained society, and in this case particularly Italian society, for uh, a couple of thousand years. Marcella's genius was in taking a hold of this canon of, uh, of home cooking, and she recast it in, in her own terms. Uh, I don't know if you're aware that uh, when, when we got married, Marcella was a, uh, a student of science. She, had, she was working on her second doctor's degree in Italy at the University of Ferrara, and her ambition was to be a teacher mm -hmm. of the sciences, particularly botany, biology, but particularly botany. And this is significant because Marcella uh, trained her uh, capacity for observation to a degree that very few people have. But when she, we got married, she had never stepped into her kitchen. She was part of a uh, middle-class Italian family in a small town on, on the Adriatic. Her mother cooked. Her grandmother cooked. Both grandmothers cooked. Her father was a marvelous cook. And there was a little girl working as a maid who also did a little bit of cooking. So Marcella hasn't, didn't have the slightest intention or interest or even space to get into the kitchen mm -hmm. and start cooking. However, when we got married, she came to this country, and there was no mother and no father <laughs> and no little girl from the farm. Necessity of life. Uh, so she, she had to roll up her sleeves and go to something she'd never seen before, a supermarket, and pick out things that didn't look like any food that she had ever seen mm -hmm. before in an Italian market. And that is how she has taken the cooking of her youth, the cooking that she uh, grew up with, the cooking she experienced at her family's table. She took those flavors and she recast them in a way that she could cook them. And the way she could cook them, anybody who really has the patience and intelligence to follow her instructions, can cook them. Anybody can do good Italian cooking if they're careful about it. And she has said many recipes in this book that are three and four ingredient recipes, so right. it's, it's yes. not difficult to follow along. Uh, you just have to be a, a good shopper. I, you know, one of the things for, I, I love most about the markets in Italy and France where I just was is that yes. the opportunity to buy great ingredients is much more prevalent there. Yes. Uh, not as much now with our great supermarkets like McMarket or having chef shop around, but certainly for fresh meats and cheeses and fish, right. uh, that's, that's important. So 
When we come back, Victor, uh, for our next segment, I'd like to talk a little bit more about Marcella when it comes to the foreword that you wrote in this book. And it's uh-huh, one of the yes. things that's probably okay. different in this book compared to the first one, the, the re-release. But I, some of the things about Marcella I did not know. Basically, she was one-armed uh, from a young time, from a, a younger, her younger years. Uh, yeah. She was on, up on murder charges. I mean, there's just some great little tidbits in this um, in this foreword that I found um, amusing. So yes. I'm sure she didn't find them all amusing, yes. uh, <laughs> including boiling a human skull. When we come back on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. We're having a ball here in the kitchen, uh, sitting here chatting with Mr. Victor Hazan, uh, the husband of Marcella Hazan, and we uh, are talking about the essentials of classic Italian cooking, uh, the 30th anniversary edition. So it's a re-release, but there's some other tidbits in there that I just love. Eliza's here from Chef Shop. Hello. You jump in anytime you want, because... Uh, what I love about Chef Shop is it's on my way to and on my way from home to my job. So you and get to pass us every day. I do. And you have the best Orchietti available, in my opinion, oh, in town. You. So. You. And you have a book process. signing with Victor we next do. week. We do. On Tuesday. Uh, it's a little bit difficult. The best thing to do if you want to f- sign up for a slot to come by and say hi and get your new book signed uh, is to go to our website and search on Essentials. And you will see the three different uh, time slots, opportunities yeah. to come and get, pick up your book and come say hi to Victor and have him sign your book. Good. That's super fun. Terry, I'm not trying to hog all this, oh, but no, no, I, was, no, I was reading this foreword yeah, here I that, want to hear about, that about Victor that. wrote. And Victor, I love the fact in a couple of pages you went through Marcella's um, youth a bit of how she got to be who she is and where she came from, including uh, the time during World War II when she was brought up on murder charges of a, of a Nazi officer. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more yes. about that? Oh, yes. Uh, that, that's a family story that we told each other many times. Um, Marcella, during World, the Second World War, Marcella's father knew a great deal about farming because he had a small farm of his own. And a syndicate had bought a very large property near the Lake Garda as the war was about to start because they understood that one of the things that was going to be most uh, difficult to get a hold of was ingredients for food Mm -hmm. on the table. And they were going to grow their own. And they uh, hired Marcella's father to run the farm. So as a young girl, she grew up on this large farm on the of Lake Garda, but coincidentally, not very far from the farm, the Germans who had uh, taken over Italy uh, established their, their high command. And so there was a lot, of, uh, a, lot, a lot of explosions going on, bombs falling, well, German and allied forces, shooting, yeah, yeah. shooting their guns, people dying, people being uh, carried to the cemetery, the cadavers going to cemeteries. 
And uh, Marcella at that time was taking a uh, uh, course at the Lyceum, which is an Italian version of a super high school. And one of her courses was human anatomy. She had to take a test at the end of the course, and in order to take a test, she had to study the bones of the human anatomy on a cadaver, a skeleton rather than a cadaver. And her professor said, uh, I have a skeleton that I can give you. Unhappily, I can't give you the head, but you can easily get one. And myself said, I can get a head? Where? There are lots of them. Go to the cemetery and make friends with the grave digger. People are being brought in, cadavers are being brought in all the time, and you'll find a suitable head for you. Which she did. Uh, she got this head and she brought it, uh, to, uh, brought it home, told the professor. And the professor said, well, what does it look like? Myself said, oh, well, it has a, some hair on it and a mustache. He <laughs> said, well, if you're going to study it, you have to remove every single hair, follicle. And the only way to do that is to boil it. <laughs> and so she said, okay, you know, on, on the farm they had very big stock pots. Yeah. So she plunged it into one of them and started boiling it. And she had a boyfriend, and uh, I wasn't around then. And she wrote to him and said, guess what I'm doing? I'm boiling a man's head to get his skull clean so I can study it for my exam. Well, the censors read the letter. The censors, the German censors. He, he was yeah. in the army, and at that time, all that kind of correspondence went through the censors. And so they pulled it in. They said, this head with a mustache. Do you know that uh, a short while ago, a German officer with a mustache was killed by the partisans and uh, buried in our cemetery? She said, well, no, I don't know anything about that. I, I just went to the cemetery and they gave me a head to work with. I said, well, we're very sorry, but... This is very suspicious. And so she was brought before the, the court. Fortunately, the judge was an Italian judge rather than a German judge. And he was wanted to be understanding. And he said, well, signorina, uh, I have to understand what the situation is. How do you happen to get a hold of this head? How do we know it's not the German officer who disappeared? She said, well, I don't know anything about German officers, but if you get the gravedigger in, he'll explain it to you. He'll tell you exactly how it came into my hands. And that's what happened. Mm -hmm. Gravedigger came in. He persuaded the judge that Marcella knew nothing about killing German officers. And the judge looked down his nose at her and said, Signorina, this is a very serious time. And we're engaged in very serious business. And I don't want to see any more of this funny business of boiling heads. Please <laughs> take your skull and go home and don't even think of coming back here. 
And of course, and did. from there to a three yeah, a three uh, the, ingredient marinara yeah, was, seems the perfect natural. Like, that was that was, a that first, was the beginning of her cooking career. <laughs> that was the first stock. That was the first stock she ever made. That's right. Yes. She, she could have been shot. Yeah. We only have two minutes left. Uh, do you have favorite in, uh, recipes? I know she must have cooked for you often. What do you miss the most? When you return to the kitchen and Marcella is not there anymore, but you must dream about some of the things that she made. Uh, so many favorite <coughs> recipes. But we only have a minute. You so. know, uh, the, uh, my birthday, I'll be entering my 95th year and not too long from now, on October 20th. And Marcella, for my birthday, used to make what I considered to be the food of the gods. It was lasagna it was handmade handmade egg pasta several layers of it about 11 layers very thin layers she used spinach with it too which made it more flexible and more delicious so 11 layers of spinach pasta interleaved with bolognese and meat sauce of which she was an absolute master and porcini mushrooms. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing yeah, that. Happy birthday so coming sharing. up. Happy 95th. Happy 95th. Uh, we enjoyed having you on the show today. And uh, again, uh, Eliza, Tuesday, there's some slots available at Chef Shop to uh, have a chat with Victor and get a book signed. Yep, yes, I hope, I hope a few people will come in yeah. because I will enjoy saying hello to them. Yeah. yeah, just search on essentials in the search field and they should come up. All right. Up next, we have uh, Savory Pancakes. It's time to give away two tickets to my class coming up next week for and about Savory Pancakes. Right here on the Hot Stove, Society Show 97.3 FM. Waiting for the dinner bell to do the bell thing. Dinner bell, dinner bell ring. All right, it's the Hot Stove Society Kitchen on Cairo. Tom and Terry coming your way. Uh, Chef, I've got a class coming up here on the 23rd uh, that details savory pancakes. And uh, I know I'm going to be cooking some latkes with um, crab meat. And uh, So how many I'll, different type of batter do you make? As many as I want. Yes, of course. That's part of the surprise about this class is that, you know, when we set these things up months in advance, it's like, okay, uh, yeah, I'll do this class, blah, blah, blah. But then as you get closer to the class, you have to start thinking about what is sure. exactly going to be happening. Beer? Beer butter? Sure. Why not? Sure. We're, we're going to do the Okan- Okonomiyaki. Okonomiyaki. I can never say it yeah, I right. I can't say that either. But- I love that. It's a cabbage <laughs> and shrimp and bacon pancake from Japan. And uh, I, I just love that. We used to serve it at Tanaka-san, and it was very popular and very good, delicious. Mm. Lots of QP mayonnaise on there. Um, you have a favorite uh, pancake? You, you immediately go to I'm crepes. A, yeah, I, I, was, I was using that as a... Because in my head, when I think pancake, instead of pancake, I'm going to think crepe because I'm French. And mm-hmm. I'm going to use that as a vessel to be putting stuff on it. So, you know, you can have rolled crepe, but you can also have an open-faced crepe which would be very similar to a pancake. The only difference is it's a very thin pancake. Mm-hmm. So whatever you're going to put on there is to be, you know, feeding to that. So right. roasted chicken, first thing that comes to mind, roasted chicken, salted mushroom, 
squash, put all this on top of the crepe, little goat cheese crumble, flash it in the oven for just a couple of minutes, and then eat that just like you would a pancake, except mm-hmm. it's a crepe. But it's also lunch. <laughs> it's also lunch, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's yeah. a big crepe. Oh, yeah. But we had can, several I mean, crepes, and they... Um, most of the time, there were the buckwheat crepes, which right. I really like better, I'm, especially I'm in a savory favorite. way. Um, yeah, and so we had ham. I had one with uh, the French uh, andouille. So yeah. Oh, wow. Very potent, very strong of chitlings and, yeah. and uh, innards. They do uh, boudinoir. They do all mm-hmm. different kind of things. But yeah, it's a very, um, the buckwheat is very different because it's got such a strong flavor. It's very different than the flour crepe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not sweet, number one. Number two, it's got a little bit of that bitter from the buckwheat. It's got that savory um, aspect to it. So you can marry that very easily to how kind you, of savory thing. How do you make crepes? And I know, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you to... It doesn't have as much butter in it, which is it's why... It's very lacy. The batter was very lacy. This is why it holds so well on that pan with the butter underneath. Because uh-huh. if you put butter in your batter beforehand and you add butter to the pan, your batter is going to start... Moving around and, and be, breaking a little bit. Yeah, breaking yeah. a little bit. Yeah, because too much fat. Yeah, I don't add butter, and my crepes are not greasy, but they're just lovely, lovely little thing. And the reason that I was using crepe as a pancake was because I have leftover. When I make crepe, I obviously make a stack of crepe. You obviously don't always finish it, so you have those leftover crepe in the fridge. So you take them out the next day and try to think about. You have to think uh, taco. You have to think. Pancake, you have to think in kind of that frame of mm-hmm. vessel, and then you just marry that with that. A pancake that I'd like to make, it's not on the list at this point, but I think I'm going to try and squeeze it in, is the blue cornmeal, um, uh, what, what are those called? Uh, papusas. Oh, yeah. From Ecuador, I believe they are from, and where you fill, have different kinds of savory fillings. Right. Uh, you can go egg and, I mean, not egg, but bean and cheese, right. or you can get as fancy as you want. Uh, with lots of different carnitas or, or whatever. And then you just simply pan fry those until your cornmeal is cooked. I must say then um, a green onion pancake to me is probably the first base I would start with any pancake. If I was making pancake for the first time, savory pancake, I would probably start with a green onion pancake. And So that's the Chinese version. Yeah, yeah. very simple. Very, I mean, first time I made it. I don't it, think they're simple. No. Not for the average, because of the way you have to roll them out. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ingredients are simple, but yeah. you have to then roll it, and then you have to twist it, and then you have to roll it again. And, right, you know. right. Oh, yeah, maybe. maybe I would use um, the uh, current, the, the um, rose current that are on the market right now, and I would use that as instead of blueberry, mm-hmm. and that would make a savory pancake. And because would, they're more tart. Oh, yeah, very, yeah. they're tart, very tart. Or oh, huckleberry. <sighs> Also are very tart. If you don't add sugar to huckleberry, they're definitely tart. Mm-hmm. So you put huckleberry and spinach. That makes a great combination. Put that into your pancake. What about blini? You usually mm. make those for your New Year's Eve class. I know. Yeah. I love blini. Delicious. Those little buckwheat mm-hmm. pancakes to go with a big dollop of caviar. Mm-hmm. We would put those in our class, but I like a big dollop of caviar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's unaffordable. I, I only do that once a year. But that's but what it's supposed to be. are yeasty and But it's yeah. supposed to be once good. a year treat. It's not something you eat every weekend. I mean, caviar? Yeah. Yeah. Tell my wife that. <laughs> no, just kidding. 
It's funny because I'm, I'm the same way. I'm like, I can eat caviar every day. But <laughs> well, when you have the restaurant where it's sitting there every right. day, I bet you do have a it's little easier. Yeah, I haven't been buying caviar every day since I yeah. closed my restaurant. I tell you that. I'm sure the Seattle caviar folks miss miss your order every they week. They do my weekly order. Uh, tell us about uh, how somebody can win a prize of two tickets to my savory pancake class. Yeah, we just posted about your class on our Instagram at Hot Stove Society. And in the comments, why don't you tell us your favorite savory pancake? Okay. Mm. And we'll pick the winner. So you're going to pick it from, what? what is the criteria, do you suppose, that you're going to use? The most delicious, scrumptious description about the savory pancake. So it doesn't have to be an outlandish kind of recipe, Mm-mm. but more it's how you talk about the pancake. Yeah, sell it. Sell, sell it. it to me. <laughs> and it goes on the menu next week. Yeah. <laughs> well, it might, if I can figure it Extra out. Extra caviar. Yeah, it might. So. There's That's, so many good pancakes. Yeah. Where do you go? What restaurant do you go to for a good pancake? Well, for, say, the green onion pancake, I go to a little place. It looks like it's closed all the time, but it's not. You actually just have to go through the door and... and (laughs) You have to open the door? They don't open it for you. No, No, but it's like, I mean, it was boarded up a lot for the last couple Uh of years, and and now now they just kind of keep it closed looking. Szechuan Noodle Bowl has a good green onion pancake, and they have the sambal olek that they serve with it, so it's... Super spicy if you want it to be, and they have good dumplings and good green onion pancakes. Xiao Ching Chow's book has a good mm-hmm. green onion pancake recipe in it here oh, yeah. that uh, if you come to my class, I'll even give you Xiao wow. Ching's book that has the green onion. You can get delicious leek pancakes at Judy Foo's Snappy Dragon. Delicious. And when you go to the frozen food aisle, it's a uh, Shoreline Central Market or something. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. They actually have three or four yeah. different frozen green onion pancake options. That oh, I should try are that. delicious. They actually mm-hmm. cook up beautifully. You just have to be, you can't go too hot. Right. Because they'll brown before they cook all the way through. Right. Uh, so if you put them on medium heat, get it hot, but if you put them on medium heat uh, and cook them and brown them on both sides, uh, really a So great they're already substitute. rolled and everything? Oh, yeah. They're flat. Oh, nice. They're flat as a pancake. Oh, wow. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. You can buy it already done. Yeah. That's, that's a nice one to know. Yeah, I, I, to me, that's a perfect little vehicle for chili paste. Yeah, Good thing to have in your freezer. The other thing about green onion pancakes, going back to that, is, or even latkes or something, you cannot be afraid of fat. Because no. part of the deal is getting that crispy edge, that lacy edge on your latke, the lacy edge on your crab foo young, right? Not so much on your blini, but uh, you can't be afraid. Just drain it when you're done. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So. Put it on the grill. Don't put it on a piece of parchment paper. You Dripping. mean uh, like a cookie co- cooling rack? Right, cooling yeah, rack. Yeah. 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 I, I would agree with that. But I feel that way about everything. Right. Like when I'm resting a steak, I never put it on a plate. No. I always put it on a cookie rack so that the air can re- go around it. Because if you put it the hot side of the steak on a cookie rack, it just steams underneath right. there. It can't release it's the heat. Right. And that's what you're doing. You're resting it to release some of that heat. Same thing with pancakes. You yeah. are correct. Anything, anything doughy will become soggy underneath. Yeah. Uh, okay, it's time for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs, available in 5,000 retail outlets across this country. So uh, let's, uh, let's do that when we come back. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Making pancakes, making bacon pancakes. Yeah. Takes a bacon and I'll put it in a pancake. All right, we're here in the kitchen. It's time for a Hot Stove society food for thought tasty trivia brought to you by rub with love spice rubs and sauces made right here in ballard 
As chefs, we're always looking for unique ways to build flavor, and a pantry stocked with spices is a valuable tool. Our Rub With Love blends have a wide range of flavor profiles, so why not collect them all? There's only 20. Come on. Come on. You can purchase Rub With Love all around the country in grocery stores and in specialty stores like Sunset Foods with five locations in the greater Chicago area, Marcus Foods in Whitefish, Montana, or Northwest Food and Gifts in McMinnville, Oregon. We welcome you uh, to visit any of our locations for the full line of products, including Seatown Rub Shack and Fish Fry, or right here at the Hot Stove Society here in downtown Seattle, or at Ballard. Our Ballard location has them all also. Amy, uh, will you tell us how to play the game? We're two-on-two today, which is a little unusual. Mm -hmm. And who's going to win and blah, blah, blah. All right. I'm going to ask each of the teams today seven questions. And the winner, what are we going to give away? We're going to give away a Uh, three-pack of... uh, I'm assuming it's somebody here in the audience. They're going to have to draw straws. Uh, All right. They can build their own three-pack. All right, perfect. You you want to decide who that is? Yeah, let's use Stuart. Okay, perfect. Or that pencil. We can just throw that pencil and see who it points to. (laughs) Or who it it sticks in. It'll be a ball of (laughs) All right, right there with the glasses. Yes, okay. What's your name? Shelby. Shelby is going to be our winner today. She gets to make her own three-pack of rubs. Uh, all right, let's do this. Okay. Ladies first. Why is pound cake called pound cake? Because the ingredients are a pound of the component. You are correct. Did we introduce our players? Oh. Uh, Annie Elmore, chef here at the hot stove and, and uh, future executive director. Is that right? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> and Bridget she Charters. the memo yet. And Bridget Chart is another chef here and presenter at the Hot Stove Society. Former director. <laughs> Pam's going to be so mad at us. All of the, I'm messing up. <laughs> okay. Okay, second question. If you ordered an affogato, what would you get? Ice cream and uh, espresso shot. Correct. Well, we have dissension on the team. I, know, I, I like it. it. I like <laughs> it. You almost fagato. Oh. <laughs> All right. Shoe and phyllo are two types of what product? Dough. Is there a certain dough? Pastry dough? Correct. Wow. That's three. I've heard of these questions. (laughs) (laughs) Pamela Hinckley. Yeah. Three for three. Three for three. What is the USA's favorite flavor of ice cream? Vanilla. (laughs) Correct. Which is the only U.S. state that grows coffee beans? Hawaii. Correct. Good job. All right. <laughs> what two words were combined to make the word spam? Ham and... Ham and... What's the SP? Uh, Spumante? No. no. <laughs> Is that your final answer? <laughs> it's only a two-hour show, so this. take your time. It's yeah. puree in Italian, but that can't be right. Spumante ham. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's move on. All right. The correct answer is spiced ham. Okay, last question. What is the official state pie and my favorite flavor of uh, the state pie of Florida? Key lime? Correct. Yay. All right. Six out of seven. All right, you're going down. Not bad for a couple of hustlers. Wow. <laughs> wow. Corn has become the most common food consumed in many parts of the world and mostly the standard diet of the people. What are the second and third most common foods? In the world or in the States? In the world. Wheat would be bread. 
So rice and I would say rice and r- rice and wheat is yeah rice and wheat. That's correct. Wow. wow, Terry, Terry pulled that one out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You said it first. <laughs> what are the top two most popular spices in the world? No, I noticed just out of, as an aside that when you asked them questions, it was like one thing. And for us so far, you have to have two answers. That's why everything. I picked all the hard ones out yeah. of this. <laughs> yeah, all, 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 have, all have S's next to it. S's in every single one of them. Top two spices in the world? Yep. Is black pepper a spice? Yes. Yes. I would say black peppercorn. And I would say, what's the other one? Well, there could be cinnamon. Cinnamon, nutmeg. Let me think. Cinnamon, nutmeg. Bridget, you're on my team. Not I, would say, team. I would say probably cinnamon. Okay, the correct answers are pepper and mustard. 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 I should have known that. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't think mustard's a spice. It, well, is. it is. Seeds, bark, seeds, oh, okay. husk, or spices. So way, versus... they did not get So we got it answer. right, is what you're saying. We got half of it. That's a half okay. of it. I wouldn't have thought of mustard, okay. though. What percentage of peanuts is found in a standard jar of peanut butter? A standard jar being jippy or skippy or that, that kind of standard yep, jar? standard. Probably at least 15% of sugar, maybe even 20%. I don't think it's that high. Really? There's well, salt, and there's, high. salt and there's sugar, generally. Okay, so 10, 15? I will say 95% peanuts. Uh, I would say 85. Okay, so 90 is our number. Oh. Okay, 90. <laughs> oh my gosh, wow. Every jar of peanut butter must be at least 90%. Oh, way to work it out, team. Oh, way to pull way to it work out. It out. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What do Italians call maize? Polenta. Correct. Which country eats the least amount of meat in the world? I know that one. I know that one. You know that one? Yes. Which country eats the least amount? I'm going to go maybe India, but maybe not. She's making a funny face. (laughs) The judge over there. The judge over there. Poker face. No, I would... would But all that tandoori meat up north? Yeah, that's true. Uh, Nepal. How about Nepal. It was India. Ah. (laughs) Six question. What is the name of the Egyptian dish that consists of lentils, rice, macaroni, and chickpeas? Wait, there's Um, a dish that includes all five of them? King Tut Minestrone. (laughs) (laughs) It is called Koshari, and I googled it after, and it looks delicious. Yeah. Mm, there's well, an answer too. Yeah. Do you want to do your final question? Like, you that's a lot move. like uh, what's the best or favorite flavor of ice cream in the world? <laughs> <laughs> Those are equal weighted questions. Oh, what's right enough there. for ghetto? Okay, what's the last one? <laughs> okay, last question. Where and when was the chocolate chip cookie invented? No uh, samples, nothing. Like, that's it. <laughs> well, we know it was in a toll house. Whew, how far back do we go? I'm going to say Ohio. Or Connecticut? I'd probably go Connecticut. All right, let's go Connecticut. And right. the year is the year? probably... Oh, they have to do the year? She, and, and, and the oh. name of the person, wow. the phone number. Some lady. <laughs> like, What's <great>. their website? <laughs> <laughs> I'll look okay, say, tell us what it is. All right, Massachusetts in 1930. Massachusetts Ooh, I was going to go older than that. <laughs> Close enough. That was lovely. Uh, thank you for kicking our patooties. Three uh, against really six. Amy, for that. Shelby. We really appreciate that. You know, it is our show. You're not supposed to humiliate us like this. <laughs> We're the champions, and you're not. We're oh! the champions. <laughs> you have to sing the song, though. We are the champions. 
This show is produced by Amy Richardson today in place of Pamela Hinckley with assistance by Chief Dolly Parton fan. That's you, Amy Richardson. That is me. Sean McFadden is our technical director and editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. Remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.